So Acts chapter 2, verse 22, and I want to look at a couple verses there. Um, my son goes to a little Baptist school, real small Baptist school on Cochrane Drive, I think it is, Cochrane Street in the Woodlands. And it's a super small school, and uh, he loves it there. The teachers love him, and he just hears the gospel all the time. And sometimes he comes home, and how many of you have, how many of your kids have said something to you that are real small, and it's like you're seeing God just shine into their soul uh, gospel truth that you know is just God is speaking to them. How many has that happened to? It's like, it's amazing, isn't it? Like when sometimes we're in the car, we're driving home, my son will say something. And, that's, and, and so Friday was, no, Thursday was that day. We're driving home and, and uh, he, he, they did the egg thing. And um, he's got an egg in his hand. And he goes, Daddy, look. And he breaks the egg open and a little piece of chocolate pops out. And he goes, look, the tomb is empty and Jesus is gone. He's alive and he's in our hearts. He's in Caleb's heart. He's in mommy's heart. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is like three and a half years old, Revelation. And he's in, and he's in mommy's heart. And he's in daddy's heart. And he's in Caleb's heart. And he's in angel's heart. <laughs> and angel's the name of our dog. I was like, whoa, 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 Caleb, we gotta like, we gotta address here your theological configuration. <laughs> Jesus is not in the hearts of animals. Maybe he is, but um, not in the salvation level. But I just thought, isn't it cool? Like, just seeing how um, how the, how a, a child begins to process uh, Easter and the, and the gospel. And I thought that's just that's just so awesome. You know what joy it brings to God when the Holy Spirit shines into our heart. And we reciprocate truth to someone else. Isn't that amazing? Like a family member. And so that's why we're really rejoicing about Ethan and Lauren's story. Ethan and Lauren got, got married this uh, just a few months ago. That was one of the most beautiful weddings I've ever seen in my life. That was just amazing. And uh, I, you know, I'm just, it's just so beautiful to see what, what God did with that, with that family. Acts 2 verse 22, um, it says this. Men of Israel, and here, here's the first Easter message ever preached. And I'm not going to preach long. That's what every preacher says, and then they preach long. But I'm not going to preach long. But men of Israel, this is the first Easter message that we see ever preached in the Bible. It's the first Easter message. And you know that the first 100 years of the church, guess what was the message that they preached? You know what it was? Was it self-improvement? You can work on yourself. You can do better next time. Uh, you got it in you. You know, you got it, like, that, no, it wasn't. It was the resurrection of Christ. That was the central message of the first 100 years of the church. And I think that that is the greatest message in the Bible. And here's Peter preaching in Acts chapter 2. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with many works, with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, and this is the verse I want to, um, I want to just focus on these next two verses. Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. We heard that. And foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up in verse 24, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. There's just three things I want to mention here this morning. Number one, there's a plan. We heard that. We just heard that right now. There was a plan. There was a plan, and it was hidden. And there was a plan before the foundation of the earth. This was not a year before Jesus was crucified. Oh, no, we've got to do something, God says. No, 
This was before eternity happened, before eternity passed. I'm sorry, before time and eternity passed. Number two, the grip. The grip is broken. And there's two grips I want to talk about. And number three, there's an empty tomb. And what that does is is it makes us hungry for more. It makes us hungry for more. Uh, The resurrection means, number one, that there was a plan. God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. This is a deliberate plan. And you know something, uh, without trying to re-preach what, what Robert said, when you, I mean, especially this past year with COVID and everything like that, this 2020 and everything that's been going on, I think mo- many of us either know, know someone that died of COVID or we know someone that, that, that was directly impacted by, by COVID. And when we look at the world and we look at everything that's happened in these two years of so 2020 and then this, this new year that we're in, somebody can say, where is God in all of this? <clears throat> where is God? Where is God? Like, why is he like letting this happen? And what is what is um, what is what is his plan? And, you know, something when we when we ask that question or when we hear people ask that question, the assumption is that God is the the guy that's behind the curtains in the Wizard of Oz running all the machinery, that he's he's got his hand on all the wheels and that he's running everything. And we get the impression we, we get the impression that that God is controlling everything in a totalitarian way. I think the second impression that people can get is that God is a puppet master, that God is just controlling everything. And if everything that goes wrong is God's fault, the truth is, and without getting into it, we have a free will. People live in the consequences of their good or bad decisions. God is kind enough. And you know what something is about without, without getting too deep into, into theology right now? God works all things together for his good. For them, that are two things, love God and that are called. Everything doesn't work good for everybody. And I think that sometimes we misquote that verse. That things don't, I mean, if you're called by God and that you're responding to the first love of Christ in you and you're loving God with that love, then it's going to work together for good. If we're not, if we're not called, if I don't understand that I have a calling in my life, then it's not going to work together for my good. And it's actually going to be really miserable. And that's why we have to really look in the hidden plan of God, that God's plan is hidden. There's a plan and we can trust. We don't know sometimes what the plan is, right? We just don't know what it is. Sometimes we're like scratching our heads. We're like, man, what was that all about? And to this day, there are things in my life, in my past, that I think like, man, what was that all about? Like, why did that happen? And you said, maybe we don't know the details of the plan, but we do know the planner, right? We do know Christ. You know, in Islam, we were, we were overseas. We were in Iraq for a week with the Turners, myself, and Brittany Howard. And she's going to be here in a few weeks to visit us. But when we were there, the theology, and I've talked about this before, but the, the ideology of Islam is this, is that God is, that there is Allah, and he, he inshallah, like whenever you'd say something to somebody, they would be, oh, inshallah, inshallah, like, like may, if it's God's will, if it's God's will. And we would often say, it's God's will, because <laughs> we know the planner. And it's like, we, and I think that in Islam, the, the ideology is, is that there's a plan, but we don't know the planner. We don't know the planner. We don't know his name. We don't know what he's up to. And if he's in heaven, if he's asleep, or if he's playing with the other gods, or if he's whatever he's doing. But we can say we know the planner. And actually, the planner sent his son, and his son became killable. His son became vulnerable. His son became a man. And if you've ever studied anything about mythology or ancient mythology, gods were not going to become vulnerable, and they were not going to be definitely becoming a man. <clears throat> they were not going to be killable. 
And so resurrection means that there's a plan, that God has a deliberate plan. We don't know the plan, but we do know Christ. Amen? Amen. We don't, sometimes we don't know the answer. I remember when my mom passed away. Suddenly, it was just a few days before Christmas, and I, we, you know, we, we were just shocked. She just passed away suddenly, and, um, and we just, you know, with a, I don't know if you've ever had a sudden death or in your family or sudden tragedy in your family or something suddenly happens, and you're just, and what's the question that we always ask? Why? Why? That's the biggest question, and, and, and Robert talked about it this morning. We have the answer why. We may not know all the details, but we have the person. The why, he's the person. And we look at Christ and we say, you know what, it's enough. I have a friend, he's British. Uh, he was a scientist. He was just, he's a brilliant man. And he, and he just wouldn't get saved. He lived in London and just a brilliant guy. Just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant guy. And he just says, you know, I can't get saved. I just can't believe it. It's just too simple. I have too many questions, he said. And then the day he met Christ, the day he met Christ, he said, you know what? Still my answers are not answered. Still my questions are not answered. He said, but I have the answer, and that's enough for me. We have Christ. You know, when my mom passed away suddenly, um, you know, we were cleaning up her apartment, and on her apartment, on her, on her desk, which was like a little altar, you know, she had, she had this, you know, like desk area, altar, right? And she had written, and she was not a person that printed things. She just wrote everything out. She was old school. She wrote all the cards out by hand, long epistles on the cards back in that day when they would write stuff like that. And she wrote, um, and she had it laminated, and she had it sit on her desk. And I don't know what it meant to her, but it meant a lot to me and my, my, my siblings. It said, can you trust me for the thing that I allow and not ask me why? I thought, wow, that's, that's God. Can I trust God for the thing that God allows and not have to get answers from my little brain to just look at Christ? Number two, resurrection means that the grip is broken. There's two grips. We talk about this, you know, the grip of, and like, here it, is, it says here in Acts 2, but God raised him up from the dead, <clears throat> freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. It's amazing. It's impossible for death to hold on to Jesus Christ. And the word hold is a word that actually means grip. It means a firm grip. Basically, it relates to strength. Okay, let me ask you, and this is real practical right now. You ever feel like you're under the grip of something? that has more power on you than, than you have over it. And I don't know, maybe you're wrestling it for decades. Maybe you're wrestling with it for years. And this grip, and it basically means strength. And Jesus broke the strong grip of two things. And I want to mention these two things. Number one, we know. We, 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 we celebrate it every Easter. And that is, that is the, the death grip, the fear of death. Jonathan Evans, who is Tony Evans' son. You guys have probably heard his story, but I was thinking about it again yesterday. He was speaking at his mother Lois's funeral, and he was praying before his mother died that God would heal her. I mean, how many of us have ever done that? I know Liz's mom, we were praying and praying and praying, and God healed her. You know, We were praying so much every day. I was overseas and just like, you know, the time difference. So I was sending a text to Liz, and it was probably in the middle of the night for you. But... Um, and we were praying and praying and praying, and, and God would heal her. And God's answer was to Jonathan Edwards, Evans, was this. There's always two answers to your prayers. Either she's going to be healed, or she's going to be healed. <laughs> Either she's going to live, or she's going to live. Either she's going to be with family, or she's going to be with family. Either she's going to be taken care of, or she's going to be taken care of. Victory belongs to me. And this is, I, I read that and I thought, <clears throat> there's never, 
a reason, and there's never, when we think about the resurrection, the fear of death is released. We no longer fear it because there's always the answer of God. <clears throat> the second confinement, <clears throat> sorry, the second grip, first is death, the fear of death. The second one is what I want to park out for a couple minutes here. <clears throat> and I want you to take this home with you. I'm sorry, I have, um, <clears throat> I have um, allergies, and so that's why I'm, <clears throat> I have this stuff in my throat. The second thing I want to mention is, is the confinement of the grip, the grip <clears throat> that is confined. <clears throat> the, co- the confinement of the grip is a prison, and the prison has to let it go. What does that mean? It means that I'm no longer under the grip <clears throat> of unforgiveness. Okay, I'm no longer under the grip of, of, of what I think that I was, how I was mistreated no longer under that grip. I'm no longer under that grip. Hey, thank you. I'm no longer under that grip of, of insecurity. You ever feel that way? You ever feel like, okay, I've been wronged and, and I just can't get this out of my mind. I can't get this out of my head. You ever feel that way? I've been mistreated or I lost that money <clears throat> or I can't just stop wanting this thing that I know I shouldn't have. I, can't, I just can't let go of that grip. I can't let go of that grip of just insecurity, not feeling safe, like I'm in a safe place. You ever feel that way? It's a grip on us. And we can't just walk away. It's like a prison. You know, when you're in prison, you have bars and you have, you're limited. And there, and there are people that are working there that are making sure that you, they, that you understand that you're in there for a reason, a good reason that you, <clears throat> that you violated the law. And we're in this prison of unforgiveness. And we can be in this prison of, of anxiety or this prison of depression. I can't get out of it. Or this prison of being rejected. Or this prison of being left alone or neglected. There's that prison, that feeling. I don't know if, if this has happened to you. Or the, I'm sorry, here's another one. Being offended. The prison of being offended. I'm so offended. But you know something? We can get into these prisons because how do we get into these prisons? How do we let something, and really, really follow me here, okay? How do we let these things have so much power over us? These, this, this, this heartbrokenness, this fear, or whatever it is. How do we let these things have, how about this? I don't, I'm not good enough. I should be a better mom. I should be a better dad. I should be a better boss, or all of these things that like, you know, I should be a better dad. You know, I should be better this way or I shouldn't have done that. And I can't seem to attain this. I'm in this prison. I can't seem to get out. Can't seem to get out. I know maybe, there, maybe it's like I come from a family that's very, that's very, that's very highly ambitious. <laughs> and God just won't let me be in, in a very, and this is going to sound weird, but because, and God keeps me like, you know, surrendered at the cross because he doesn't let me be in circumstances that, that are just super fluous and like super amazing. Like it's, it's always like, it's always just so simple and it's always so like, like weak in a sense. And it's like God doesn't let me because he wants to set us free from that prison of, of achieving and that American achievement. And you know something, this prison, why do we, why are we in this prison? Maybe, you know, when I came back from Iraq, something that Ethan said to me, and I totally get it now, Ethan. Like, you come back from a place like that, and you're just a different person. <laughs> you're just, you're a different person. I, I really, I, I came back, my wife said to me, you're a different person, aren't you? Not that I'm acting strange, I hope I'm not. But like, you just see stuff there that you can't really talk about. You just, you just see stuff, and you see, you hear stories, hear stories of like what's happening over there. And you just think, 
Like in the United States, we have it so good. We have, we're so blessed here. And, and you look at what's happening over there, <clears throat> maybe the same in Africa, Pastor Adam, I don't know. But there's some parts of the world that you go there and you come back and you're just like, you're just different. You're just different. And you're different in the sense mm-hmm. that you see stuff. And you know something? There's nothing that you can't see, that you, can, that you can't unsee, that can't be met by the personhood of Christ. And Jesus is there. I, I just saw, I don't know if I should get into it, but just, you, you just, you, I'll say this. There's this, there are these ex-military guys that, that have banded together and they, they have equipment and they have like military equipment. What they do is they just go out to the front lines and they rescue these families, the Yazidi families and these, and these Kurdish families and these, you know, these, these families that are just under, under incredibly, incredibly oppressive, just stuff that, and it's not on the news. Nobody's going to talk about it. It's going to be on the news for a week and then it's not going to be on the news. And they go out there and they just risk their lives. And some of them have lost their lives actually rescuing some of these kids. And they go out there and they rescue these kids, these families, and they bring them back. Some of them don't come back. Some of the family members don't make, don't make it. They come back and then they lead them to Christ. And then they lead them into, like, they disciple them. And there's just some incredible stories. When you think about that, you think about the prison that people live in of hatred, the prison of racism, the prison of, of, of hyper-spirituality. Why do we live in these prisons? Why do we live in the prison of, unforg- of unforgiveness? Why do we live in the prison of fear? Why do we live in the prison of a voice of a person who's no longer living in your life, but you can still hear their voice? You're never going to be any good. You're not going to succeed. You're not beautiful, etc., etc. Why do we live in these prisons? Here's why. Because we give it too much authority in our power. We worship it. We fear it. We lift it up. We look at it like this is the, and the more we, and what do we worship? The thing that we give ourselves, the mo- we give our attention to the most. That's what we truly worship. What am I spending my most time doing? That's what I worship. What am I, what's the most time? And not necessarily schedule because we all work, but it doesn't mean that we're worshiping work. It just means where is my mind? Where am I worshiping? What, is, what am I lifting up? What am I fearing in my life? What am I what am I worshiping? What is this big thing in my life? And, it's, and if it's a personality that I'm afraid of or a narcissistic personality or a toxic person or a toxic environment or a failure in your life or something in your past, if you're lifting this up and you're lifting this up into a place where it's like, a, like in a place where, wow, what if somebody finds out, you know, and you have these skeletons in your closet. By the way, Christ crucified every skeleton in every closet. So there's no skeletons in people's closets. That's all been crucified. It's been paid for. And those skeletons have been buried. And you can walk freely in Christ. Why? Because we're not in the prison of the thing that we worship. You know something? Prison can seem so big. And for those people that have spent time in prison, it can seem probably really like impossible. You know, Jeff Wood, I want to tell you a story about him. He tells a story, so I don't think he'd worry. He spent eight years in jail. He was in this crazy jail. Christ met him there. We know his story. But he told me something he said, and I met him shortly after he came out. And he said this to me. He said, you know, I have these dreams that I'm back in jail. And I don't know how I got back in jail, but I'm there. <laughs> and I don't know how, and you know, like I'm there, I can't get out. And he wakes up and he's like, you know, he's, and in his mind, in his mind, he's out of jail. He's physically, he's out of jail, but his mind is still there, I think. 
he thinks. And now, I, now he doesn't suffer from that, but initially it was that way. That's the way it is with Christ. Christ saves us and brings us out of the pr- He releases us from the grip, but there's still this grip in our mind of like, that. Per- I'm afraid of that person. What if this person rejects me? And then we lift that person up and everything, everything they say to us is a bondage to us. And it's like, we have to like, we're not free from that person. There's a young girl in our church in Kiev. And when I was there um, two weeks ago, um, she had just gotten saved, and I asked her if I could tell her story. She said yes, and she said um, she was in a very toxic relationship, terribly toxic, and she was a very needy person that had um, classic alcoholic father, just classic situation, and she was very dependent on attention from men, and she was in this very toxic relationship, and it was destroying her soul. This guy could do anything to her. And then she would just play along because she needed it when she needed that attention. And she came to our conference, and the first day, her countenance was just a wreck. She just looked a wreck. Second day, she just started listening. And then the third day, like, I noticed that life was starting to come into her, into her, into her life. By the fourth and the fifth day, she was just a different person. And she said at, a, she said at one of the rap sessions, she said, she goes, I'm free from, I said, I'm no longer a slave to this guy but not only that I'm no longer a slave to my fear of rejection and the need for attention because I have the attention of Jesus Christ I have Christ in me and I don't need any more of that in my life and so I'm totally free from that from that that toxic relationship you heard the story about Abraham when we were in Kurdistan he said to us the first day that we were there he we were just got some of the Kurds were in the room we were sitting on the floor and I'm sure that you know like you know that scene right sitting on the floor eating this incredibly amazing food. And, and uh, Mackenzie was just like on her knees eating, like, you know, with, she's stuffing her face. She's laughing and she had like all this rice in her hair. And we were just all laughing at each other because we never really ate like this. I have because I was in Central Asia. And one of the guys, one of the guys, he's 19. His name is Abraham. He said, he goes, I've been, I'm homeless for the last three days. My family has thrown me out of the house because I got saved and I, I got baptized. I made a decision for Christ. And I've lost everything. I've lost my inheritance. I've lost my family. They don't want to talk to me. They've disowned me. I've lost any, any hope for a future. Because in, in that part of the world, there's, banks are not going to loan you money to get you on your feet. You, you're very dependent on your family to get money from your family to get on your feet. And if you're out, if you're kicked out, that's it. You're on your own. And he said, I, he said I've lost it all because of Christ. He said, but I'm okay. I have peace in my heart. Because I have Jesus. And I thought, man, that is true. That is so true. And I looked at his face, and the whole week we were together, and he spent every day and every waking hour with us. He was just hanging out with us, and he's a hilarious guy. Maybe he'll be able to come here someday. And he helped. He translated for us. And he just had this peace in his heart. You know why? Because the resurrection means the grip. I can walk away from things. I can walk away from, like, fear, Toxic personnel, I can walk away from that. Why? Because I'm filled. I'm, I got the body of Christ. I got a new calling in my life. Amen? I have a new vision. I have a new, you know, like, I can walk away from temptation. I can just walk away from it. Why? Because there's something greater in my life than that. I was going to use a, a word that begins with C, R, A, P. Oh, I can leave all of that because that's what it is. It's gross. It's like we don't need, maybe there's, maybe there's the depression. You know what? I, you know, like, I, I'm, I'm depressed and we've all felt that like, you know, something happens to you and it feels like a, a sucker punch in your stomach, right? And just for a few hours, you're just emotionally off. You ever feel that way? You're just off emotionally. 
and just like you're trying to recover. And then, and then you realize I'm imprisoned to this circumstance because I put too much value in it. I didn't put the value in it. I don't have God's mind about that circumstance. And I, and I, uh, and I worship in it. It becomes this God in my life. And I can just walk away from it. Why? Because, because Christ has a plan. God has a plan. And that grip to no longer has on me. I can forgive. I can just say, okay, forgiven. Praise the Lord. Maybe emotionally I'm still a mess, but I just, in my will, I forgive. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm okay, I'm offended. Well, why am I offended? And the question is, the, the confinement question, the prison question, always needs, always reverts back to this, why? Why do I feel that way? Okay, why am I offended? Why is this happening? And you know what? We have the answer. The world does not have the answer. A person doesn't have the answer. Why are you offended? Well, because my rights and my individuality and my self-worth was offended and I was ignored. And like they do always do this. And we've always heard these conversations. But you know, we walk away from that because I know my value in Christ. Jesus loves me. There's a plan. Amen. And then thirdly, thirdly, um, the third thing I want to just say is, is that the empty tomb was never meant to fully satisfy our longings. Let me explain what that means, okay? The empty tomb. When we look at the empty tomb, and I, it just dawned on me this morning, you know, Easter is all about the empty tomb, right? That's a part of it. But Easter is really about the resurrected Jesus Christ, right? The, he's the resurrected Christ. And I think that the empty tomb, that's cool. I mean, the great graphics. And if you look at our Instagram feed, you're going to see that graphic of an empty tomb. But the, you know what? The empty tomb, you know what it tells us? It tells us that there's, there's something new and I'm hungry for more. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, the resurrection is the beginning of a new creation. A new chapter in cosmic history has opened. Indeed, the cross satisfies God's wrath and seals our pardon. But the empty tomb is only the beginning. Easter is not an end, but a start. If all creation still waits in expectation for its promised restoration, Easter's empty tomb should leave us wanting something more. Why? Because Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, I'll close with this. Empty tomb tells us that there's something more. And, and unlike my, my son's egg when it opened up and a chocolate popped out, there's no chocolate in the, in the grave of, of Christ. There's an empty tomb there. And what it means is, is that the, there is no limit to what God can do. If God can overcome the biggest thing, which is death, what more can he do? In Romans chapter 8, if God loved us while we were yet sinners in, in Romans chapter 5, how much more will he love us? You know, if he died when, he, when we were enemies, when we were, when we were weak, and when we were without strength, when we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. How much more, if God gave us his son, how much more, in verse 32, I think, in Romans chapter 8, how much with him, with Christ, will he give us all things? We can live with such abundance, and we can live with such a sense of the favor of God in our life. Practice that this week. Walk in the favor of God. Speak to yourself. Talk to somebody on the phone that's going to reflect to you the finished work favor of God that's in your life. I know sometimes we're a small church. Sometimes we, we're talking about stuff. But just let's, let's practice the favor of God on our lives. Evergrace is not better than anybody else. I'm just saying that God, has a, God loves this church. God loves everyone in this church. Let's walk in the favor like amen. Like Michael, man, I'm just, you, every one of you in this, walk in the favor of God. God is favorable on you. He wants to shine his grace. I'm not saying life is going to be rosy with all with its beauty. You know, it could get actually get rough. 
but just walk in the favor of God. That You know something? I'm favored. I'm favored by God. God loves me. He gave his son for me. And if he gave me his son, will he not give me all things? All things in this life. Amen. Praise the Lord. So let's pray. Father, thank you, God, for the empty tomb. We thank you, God, that we hunger for more. Lord, we, we look to you, God. You have a plan. Lord, the power of death and the power of the prison that we've lived in, that we worship so much, is, is released because Christ is whom we worship now. We worship him, God. We thank you, Lord, for the, the, powerful, the powerful truth that we can live in, the powerful favor that is upon us, thinking about the bride of Christ this week and how in heaven she's really, she is out, she is the, she is the star of, she, she is, she's the loved, she's the new Jerusalem that we read about in Revelations 20 through 22. She is the body of Christ, that is the new Jerusalem, it is us, we are the mansions, we are the tabernacles that Christ lives in, we are that new Jerusalem. And that bride goes out into the highways and byways and says, come to the marriage supper of the Lamb, come. And that's the mission of the church today, not to sit inside of our church in the four walls, but to go out into neighborhoods and into, into shopping plazas and into our neighbor's home and say, come to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Commune with us, commune with the body of Christ. Partake of the favor and the healing and the joy that's in Christ. Father, we thank you for this church. Lord, we thank you for this Easter Sunday. We ask you that you would just use this day, Lord, that we could in some way minister the gospel to our loved ones, to our families, Lord. Father, for those, some of those um, that we love and that we know that are celebrating this season without someone in their life, without a family member, then Lord, we just pray that, that you would, Lord, that you would just fill that person's heart with your presence in the presence of the body of Christ. And I just thank you, God, for our guests here. Lord, we thank you for the empty tomb. And we just thank you for this baptism of Ethan coming up. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. We pray amen and amen. Amen.